Let's, uh, let's start off by playing a game of uh, would you rather, okay? Uh, would you rather win the lottery tomorrow or would you rather have the money that you have now along with the skill to use it wisely and use it as a blessing for others and yourself? Okay, how about this? Would you rather be the world's biggest social media influencer, right, with, with millions of followers? Or would you rather be someone who always speaks words that are edifying and helpful to others? Or another one, you know, would you rather live in one of these mansions on Ward Parkway or would you rather live in the house that you currently live but have the ability to make it into a place of warmth and hospitality, a place of beauty and flourishing. You know, we, we go through life working hard to acquire money and influence, get promotions, but we rarely ever ask, do we know how to handle these things? You know, I remember once when my father-in-law invited me to play golf with his friends in a golf tournament. I had never played golf before up to that point in my life. And uh, he, you know, gave me a few pointers. And he said I could borrow one of his friend's golf clubs. And it turns out they were like really nice, expensive golf clubs. So I show up at this tournament, uh, and his friends see me carrying these golf clubs. And they're like, oh, those are nice clubs. I've been wanting to get those. Do you really like, do you like them? Or what do you think of them? I was like, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> and... Uh, Needless to say, they were not impressed with me for long <laughs> out there on that golf course. You know, but that's what we're like, right? I mean, we acquire these things. We dream about having this or that, that kind of power, that kind of influence. And yet so often, we so easily overlook the fact that we totally lack the wisdom or the skill to use those things well, to use those things rightly. You know, how many stories have you heard of people who won the lottery and a year later they're bankrupt, right? Uh, people who posted something careless on social media and they end up ruining their lives. You know, the truth is our deepest need is not to change our circumstances, to change kind of the stuff that we have. No, our deepest need is to be transformed from the inside. We need what the Bible calls wisdom. We need the wisdom to know how to live rightly in this world that God has made. And this is what we're going to be exploring uh, this spring as we work through a short series in the book of Proverbs. Uh, I'm going to be working through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. Um, actually, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there now. Open up to Proverbs chapter 1. If you're looking in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 527. This morning, we'll be working through the first two chapters. And this will be our start into this series. Uh, you know, if I had one main idea for this passage, and really one main idea for this entire series, it might be this, or it would be this. Uh, above all else, pursue wisdom. Above all else, pursue wisdom. Don't make golf clubs or money or influence or power your highest pursuit. Uh, 
No, pursue wisdom instead. No, no matter your circumstances, no matter what challenges you're facing, no matter how young or old you are, what you need more than anything else in this life is wisdom from God. Above all else, pursue wisdom. That's what, that's what I want to impress upon all of us here this morning. Well, to help us do that, uh, for this morning, we're going to be thinking through three points. All right, just a little outline for my sermon this morning. Point number one, who needs wisdom? Point number two, what is folly? And point number three, what is wisdom? All right? Who needs wisdom? What is folly? What is wisdom? Uh, I pray that we would all walk out of here today convinced of our need of this uh, more than anything else, and that we would turn to God for what only He can provide. All right, so number one, who needs wisdom? Look at Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, so we see here in verse 1 that these proverbs belong to Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the son of David, the son of Israel's great king. Now, David was the one to whom God promised that he would always have a son to sit on the throne of Israel. And through the house of David, God promised that salvation would come to the ends of the earth. Well, Solomon then was the sort of nearest fulfillment of that promise. He, he was ruling over the house of Israel. He was extending his reign beyond the borders of Israel. And we read in 1 Kings 3 that when Solomon began to rule, God came to him in a dream. And he promised to give him whatever he asked. And young Solomon didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for victory over his enemies. No, rather, he asked for wisdom to rule over his people. And this God gave to him, which in turn led to Israel's prosperity and success. You can read about that again in 1 Kings chapter 3. Well, sadly, 1 Kings would go, will go on to talk about Solomon's fall because of his compromise with sin. As wise as Solomon was, we know that there is still a greater son of David to come. But even so, here, I think we see Solomon in his reign, at, at the peak of his reign. Uh, he gives us a glimpse of what the coming son of David is going to be like. Uh, because here in the book of Proverbs, we encounter Solomon's wisdom teaching. The wisdom that he has received from God, he wants to pass along to his people. You know, how is Solomon going to rule over his nation, his people? Yes, he will rule by justly giving laws that are good and righteous. But even more than that, he will rule by giving his people wisdom. 
Um, the son of David does not merely give his people more rules to follow. No, he wants to teach them wisdom. He wants them to have a heart of wisdom. He wants his people to be changed from within so that they will do what is good and right on their own. And so here in these opening verses, that's what the Proverbs are. They are wise sayings designed to help us live rightly in this world that God has made. The Proverbs tell us of a world that has been ordered and designed by God, the Creator. Therefore, our lives have a purpose. Our lives are meant to work in a certain way. There is a a moral structure of justice and righteousness and equity that governs the world. And wisdom is the ability to see that and to live according to that. Because the, the truth is, sometimes in this fallen world, the way of wisdom is not always obvious. God made this world to be perfect, but as we'll see, man has come along and has corrupted this world with our sin. There will be times when doing the right thing may actually seem foolish and may actually lead to hardship for ourselves. We have to realize that the Proverbs are not promises that if you just do everything this certain way, then everything will turn out well for you. No, sometimes following God's wisdom will be actually very painful. But even so, wisdom sees beyond the immediate effects of this world and lifts up our eyes to the one who made it all. Wisdom teaches us about the God who rules over this world and what it looks like for us to fear him, to trust in him, to place our hope in him rather than worldly outcomes. So uh, this series in Proverbs is not, you know, is not here to make you rich or famous or powerful. Uh, I'm sure if I were to teach that, we could pack out this room, right? I could, I could turn this series into a bestseller. No, no, that's not what's on offer here. Rather, what's being held out is something far better. Uh, in a world so full of complicated ethical issues, full of gray areas and, and nuanced problems and complex injustices, here is clarity. Here is instruction in what is right, what is just, what is equitable. In, in a world where you're facing all kinds of difficult decisions, uh, unknown futures, all kinds of fears, here is wise guidance. Uh, in a world that so often seems meaningless and random and purposeless, here is, here is insight into our life's purpose, how we ought to live in this world. So if, if all you're looking for is life hacks, for how to make more money, how to get people to do what you want, you've come to the wrong place. But if you're looking for heart change, if you're looking for the true perspective on this world, this life-transforming wisdom, then that's why the Proverbs exist. So I asked you, is that what you want? Is this the kind of wisdom that you want? And notice here in these opening verses, we have an invitation, right? Notice in particular who this invitation is for, verse 4, to give prudence 
to the simple, and knowledge and discretion to the youth. You know, the truth is, these Proverbs are for those who lack wisdom, uh, for those who are simple, for those who are immature, who, who realize that they don't have it all figured out. They are not for those who think they've got it all figured out and really don't need anybody's help. No, these are people who are wise enough to know that they don't know everything. You know, I think that's who the wise are in verse 5. These, again, are, are not those who have a master's degree or have this amount of money or who look a certain way. No, they're the ones who are willing to learn. Those are the ones who, who are humble enough to close their mouths and listen. And, and that's true whether you're 8 years old or you're 80 years old. You know, I wonder here in this room, are there any kids, any teenagers who want to grow in wisdom? Right? This book is for you. The place to begin has to be by admitting that you don't know everything. Um, have you ever noticed, kids, have you ever noticed how so many TV shows today or movies today portray kids as the ones who know what's going on, right? And the adults are the, the clueless ones, right? The adults are the dummies, the corrupt ones. You know, I, I just, Harry Potter, right? It's the adults who don't believe Harry that Voldemort has come back. And I shouldn't have said that name, I think. Uh, <clears throat> And therefore, you know, it's up to the kids to set everything right. You know, again, if you're a teenager, if, if you're a youth, like, I'm not saying that, that adults always get it right. But beware the temptation to think that you know everything, right? And that your parents and teachers don't understand anything at all. You'd be surprised at how much your parents understand you and what you're going through and what you're facing. But if you constantly go around correcting other people and trying to prove how much you know, you're going to end up a fool. So, teenagers, youth, kids, if you want to grow in wisdom, you have to begin with humility, right? Recognizing your lack of wisdom. And the same goes for adults, right? College students. I mean, here you are. You're a Spurgeon. A lot of you are at Spurgeon College. You're learning theology. You're learning Bible. Is all your religious study producing humility? Or is it producing kind of a know-it-all pride? Right? If your study of the Bible is producing pride, then I can assure you, you have not really learned what the Bible has to teach. You know, I hope that for all of us, we will never be too old to learn. You know, they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think the reason for that is because New ideas and new habits are hard when you're old and when you get set in your ways. You know, that's where you have the, the stereotype of the grumpy old man. And actually, you don't have to be that old to be a grumpy old man, right? You can be in your 40s, like, I won't say like who. Uh, and you basically, as a grumpy old man, you get isolated. You get cut off from all wisdom, from everyone else. Uh, and yet wisdom means that even when we're old, we are open to being taught you know, in my previous church, very much unlike this church, um, the median age was 60. Isn't that amazing? Kind of 60 was like, well, anyways, I was going to try to explain median, but it's a little more complicated than that. Um, so so it, was, it was a much older congregation, and there were a lot of people who were struggling with sort of our, our preaching and the, and the new things that we were teaching. But I remember this one member. His name was Jim Olson. You know, 70 years old, sitting under the preaching of the word week after week. 
And he was changed. I mean, he had never seen Christ like that in the Old Testament, never come to relish the gospel like that. And, and he began to participate in discipleship. He, he sort of caught a vision for this culture of discipleship. He began to meet up with other guys to read books for the very first time in his life. Uh, he was helping others to grow in Christ. You know, I, I was just sitting there as a pastor watching this 70-year-old humbly willing to learn, to sing new songs, to engage with young people who are joining the church. I just thought, man, that's what I want to be like when I'm 70. You know, I, I want to be like Jim Olson. I want to be able to sit under the ministry of someone who is young enough to be my grandson and benefit from his teaching. Because I think that's the picture of wisdom at work, isn't it? This willingness to learn. Well, this invitation then brings us to the summary statement over all of the Proverbs. Verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I mean, here's the banner over all of the book. The fear of the Lord. That's the beginning. That's where it all starts. And yet beware, because there are fools who despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is found not in ourselves, not in our possessions, not in our degrees, not in this world's experts. No, wisdom is found in God, in a right view of him, in a proper response to him, namely the fear of the Lord. If you don't have that, no matter what, what else you have, you don't have true wisdom. You don't even make a start of it. And any supposed wisdom that doesn't take God into account is a counterfeit wisdom. It is what Proverbs calls folly. And as we see here in this summary statement, part of learning wisdom is being able to discern folly, discern the foolish thinking of this world. And really, that's what the rest of chapter 1 is going to deal with. So let's move to that. Let's move to point number two. What is folly? Right? <clears throat> and here in the rest of chapter one, uh, we're going to see two pictures of folly. Okay? Uh, the first is the picture of what it means to listen to folly, to listen to fools. And the second is the folly of rejecting wisdom. All right, so let's look at that first picture of, of listening to fools, starting in verse eight. Here, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. <clears throat> what, 
well, what we see here is that we live in a world where at one point or another, you are going to encounter fools. <clears throat> we see here in verses 8 through 9 that the only thing that will protect us when we encounter su- such fools is wisdom. Right? Wisdom that we have with us, like a garland, like a pendant, you know, like clothing that you wear, like armor for battle. You know, sadly, I would say wisdom is not like books in my study. Right? I, I, I feel like when I buy books on Amazon and I bring them into my office and I put them up on the shelf and I'm sitting there in that room, I feel like I'm wiser right? because those books are on my shelf. Uh, unfortunately, the wisdom of those books do not absorb into me via osmosis. Right? That's, that's just unfortunate. So as soon as I leave my study, I am helpless. I am none the wiser. You know, if you want wisdom to guide you, you can't just put it up on the shelf. You've got to put it on. You've got you to take it on, right? It's got it's to be with you when you encounter fools in your life. And there are people who are going to come after you, and they are going to entice you with folly. We see that in verses 11 through 14. You know, Solomon gives us this caricature of sinners who are trying to get you to ambush someone innocent, to rob and to murder and to plunder them. I mean, look at all that they promise. Like guaranteed wealth, adventure, camaraderie. But they totally ignore what God has so clearly commanded in his word. Do not steal. Do not murder. I think Solomon here is giving us something of a caricature. It's a bit exaggerated. So often, the folly that we encounter in this life is not going to be this blatant. It will so often be much more subtle, much more refined, much more respectable. The things that they say and promise will actually sound in a twisted way upright and benevolent and well-intentioned. But in fact, underneath all of their reasoning is still a complete disregard for God and his commands. You know, Solomon here, I think, is peeling back all of the deception and showing us what folly really comes down to. It comes down to murder and robbery. Wisdom, then, is the ability to to do that, to see past all of the false promises. And as we see in verses 17 and 19, to see the trap that is being laid, not just for the person being ambushed, but the trap that's being laid for you. Right? Uh, You are the sucker. You are the one that's being ambushed if you go along with these people. They are not only robbing that innocent person, they are also robbing all those who join in with them. When we listen to fools, we ourselves become the victims. As you go through this life, how confident are you that you have the wisdom to see through these enticements. Now, could it be that the only reason you're not in jail, or you're not, you haven't wrecked your life, is just because the, the right enticements haven't come along yet? You know, the, the temptation that Solomon presents here is greed. And for some of you, that's a real temptation. 
Uh, you love money. You, you trust in money to solve your problems. And there are scammers and swindlers out there who will take advantage of your greed and ruin your lives. Oh, that's just one example, though. There are a thousand other vices that we struggle with that open us up to folly. And those who want to take advantage of you will know exactly how to tempt you. So maybe they won't tempt you through greed. Maybe they will tempt you through your lust for pleasure. Right? They, they will get you addicted to sex, to alcohol, to drugs. And those things will prove to be your downfall. Or maybe they will appeal to your pride. Right? They, they will insult you. They'll call your names. And you will lash out in revenge. Or maybe they'll appeal to you because of your insecurity, because of your loneliness. They will flatter you. They will make you dependent on them so that you have to do what they say, longing for their approval. You know, the people here in this passage, they may be fools, but they're not dummies. No, the fools of this world are actually quite shrewd. They know how to manipulate. They know exactly the areas of your life that you're willing to compromise. And Satan, I think, is behind all of this. Satan is like a master fisherman who knows exactly the kind of hook to use, the kind of bait to put on that hook to catch his victims. And yet his overall strategy is always the same. Overpromise and underdeliver. Overpromise and underdeliver. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, puts it this way. Satan's first device to draw the soul into sin is to present the bait and hide the hook. To present the golden cup and hide the poison. To present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin and to hide from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. Oh, how many times have we experienced that? Fallen for that time and time again. Friends, don't think that on your own you will never be fooled by these devices. No, we desperately need wisdom to protect us. Now get rid of any notions of wisdom being like this party pooper, you know, this sort of curmudgeonly spoil sport. No, wisdom is a life preserver for, that we hang on our necks if we want to survive in this world to protect us from the voice of fools. So I wonder for you, what, what, are, the sources, what are the sources that amplify the voices of fools in your life? Right? Where are these voices coming from for you? you know, how much time are you spending on social media? reading people's random ramblings, right? Looking at their pictures that they're posting, looking these pictures that portray life with no regard for God at all. How much time do you spend doing that? How much time do you spend with entertainment that tempts you to envy, to lust, to greed? What about your friendships? Any unhealthy relationships with people that are constantly dragging you down? You know, I think a lot of us could probably stand to, to cut ourselves off from a lot of these voices of foolishness in our lives, replacing them with something better. 
But even when that's not possible, I mean, I think the question is here is, do you at least recognize the folly when it comes? Right? Do you hear folly and identify it? Or do you just simply take it all in as if it's something neutral, right? Laugh at it. Don't think much about it. Pray that God will give you this kind of wisdom to see folly for what it is. We have to move on. The second picture of folly that we see here is the folly of rejecting wisdom. Verses 20 to 33. The solution is not just to cut yourself off from every voice. No, the solution is to find a better voice to listen to. Right? Look at verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but, I will not, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, unlike the voice of fools, wisdom is a bit harder to hear. The picture here is of a busy marketplace. Uh, imagine a state fair, right, with all the carnival rides going on. There are vendors selling their things, people shouting and talking and laughing. And yet, amid all this noise, there in the distance, you look over and you see a small booth. And there, there's Lady Wisdom crying out. She's, she's making herself available. Anybody wants, come, listen. You know, wisdom is not hiding. Wisdom is not being kept a secret. But the problem is we live in a world that so often drowns out her voice. Right? There are so many other competing voices all around us. In fact, the majority of the world is what we see in verse 22. Right? They, this world that, doesn't, that just ignores wisdom. Even though she's out there crying out, they just pass her by, think nothing of it, move on. Go deal with all that they have to deal with. All the while, verse 23, wisdom patiently and persistently holds out blessing to any who will turn to her. To all who will listen, behold, she says, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. She is there, ready to teach whoever will come to her. And yet, alongside that, is a warning. She, you know, most of this passage, when we hear wisdom's voice, this is a warning from her of the danger of rejecting her. 
Those who reject wisdom will encounter disaster. You know, I, I just can't help but notice how different her voice is from the voice of the fools in the previous section. Right? Those, those guys are overpromising. They are flattering. No, that's not wisdom. Wisdom is speaking honestly. Wisdom is speaking the truth even when it's hard to hear. You know, if you want sort of a, a chipper, fluffier view of life, uh, then wisdom is not for you. No, if you're looking for somebody who's going to speak the hard truths to you, that's what wisdom is all about. Uh, she, she's going to reveal to your faults. She's going to re- open your eyes to the troubles all around you. And, and in some ways, man, wisdom sounds quite severe, doesn't she? All right, verses 26 to 27, she's mocking those who have rejected her. She's laughing at their destruction. That doesn't sound very nice. But I think what this reveals is that wisdom is, again, not just about being you know, efficient or productive in life. No, it has to do with God. The fear of God is a moral issue. The calamity that comes upon fools is judgment on their wickedness. Folly deserves to be mocked and ridiculed because in their pride, they thought they were wiser than God. They thought they didn't need God. And God is going to set the record straight. You know, all of this is teaching us that when it comes to wisdom, you cannot play both sides of the field. Your response to the voice of wisdom is never neutral. Either you embrace her or you despise her. Now, either you listen to her or you reject her. There is no sort of just like, oh, you know, indifferent. That's okay. You know, I'm just going to be neutral. No, no. In, in, in verse 28, I mean, I think this is a terrifying warning that, that really drives this home. Um, every time you reject wisdom, wisdom becomes harder and harder to hear. Right? Harder and harder to find. Our hearts begin to grow hard. And the voice of wisdom gets lost in the crowd. Until you reach the point here in verse 28 where you will not be able to find wisdom anymore, no matter how hard you look. There will come a point, if you keep rejecting wisdom, there will come a point when all that is left to you is folly. And that will bring disaster. You cannot hear wisdom and be indifferent. No, you're always either rejecting it or embracing it. And how terrifying that would be as we keep rejecting to realize that we're too far gone. You know, that we need help. And yet, our hearts are too hard. Our conscience is too seared. And the only sound of wisdom that we hear is of her laughing and mocking as disaster overtakes us. You know, live long enough and you'll hear stories of those who have fallen into disaster because of their folly. They might have looked successful on the outside. They might have looked wise and competent. Underneath, they were living in folly. And sooner or later, it all blows up and it all comes out and they lose everything. So many stories we could tell. I I could talk about former pastors, right? Former evangelists, former, you know, mentors. In public, they all look good. And yet in secret, they were being unfaithful. And calamity then comes like a storm. 
You know, every time I hear those disaster stories, I shudder. I shudder because it makes me think, how can somebody become so self-deceived? Oh, my goodness. You know, I think the way it happens is exactly what we see here. It happens gradually. It doesn't begin with a decision to wreck their lives. No, it begins with small decisions to reject the fear of the Lord, to, re- to compromise, to listen to their own folly. And so, compromise after compromise, small at first, and then more, and then more, until the point where they are so hardened that they can't even hear the voice of wisdom. Oh, friends, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you hear the voice of wisdom. What sins are you giving into? What areas of your life are you rejecting wisdom and ignoring her and becoming hardened towards her voice? If that's you, the best thing you could do is to be honest about that, to confess that, to begin looking for the voice of wisdom. And if you can't hear wisdom yourself, then go find a godly Christian friend to whom you can confess your troubles and allow them to speak wisdom and truth into your life so that you might begin walking in the way of truth. This is where I think the local church is so important. If the world is constantly shouting at us with these foolish voices, we need to surround ourselves with wise voices, with people who live in the fear of God. And we need to let these people into our lives. Allow them to speak to you. Allow them to rebuke you. Be accountable to them. This is why I desperately need to be a member of a local church. By me being accountable to you, I am giving you permission to come after me, right? To rebuke me, to speak into my life if ever I begin to go off the rails. By being a member of a church means we give each other permission to do that for one another in case we ever find ourselves in this situation. We know the folly of our hearts. We need each other's help. Which brings us to point three. What wisdom is. What is wisdom? The previous section taught us how fools despise wisdom. This chapter then unpacks what the fear of the Lord is. All right? Proverbs chapter two. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the waves of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So 
you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. There's so much that we could say about wisdom here in this passage, but it all hinges, again, on that idea that we saw back in chapter 1. And we see it again here in verse 5, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? The fear of the Lord. Yeah, but what is the fear of the Lord? What does that mean? What does that look like in our lives? How do we get this wisdom? Because when we look at the story of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, even the life of Solomon, we understand that we are sinners, that we are those who struggle to fear the Lord. Why? We fear all kinds of other things. We struggle to fear God first. No, Romans 3, 9, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is our human condition. We, as sinful people, have all rejected God. We have all embraced foolishness. So how can sinful people who have rejected God come to receive his wisdom? If Solomon gave way to foolishness, what hope do we have? I think the answer is found in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I think that's the answer. Wisdom comes from God. It does not come from us. No, God gives wisdom as a gift to those who come to him, acknowledging their need, asking for it. When we consider Solomon's words here in this chapter in light of the storyline of Scripture, it becomes clear that Solomon is pointing us to something much more profound than simply just sort of like this abstract virtue of wisdom. No, he, he has personified wisdom. He has talked about wisdom as the treasure of God. This wisdom that delivers us from the evil of our hearts, who makes us wise from the inside. Friends, we realize that the ultimate fulfillment of wisdom can only be found in the Messiah in the promised Savior, in Jesus Christ. Wisdom comes from God, and God gives us wisdom through His Son. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the Son of David, came into this world 2,000 years ago. God in the flesh. And He was the wisest man who ever lived. Infinitely wiser than Solomon. One who feared God and loved man perfectly, one who never compromised with sin, not even once. If you want to understand wisdom, let me challenge you to get to know Jesus, right? Jesus teaches us the true meaning of all that God requires, of all of God's commands. He reveals to us what God is like. The knowledge of God is found in Jesus Christ. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Learn from his teaching. Allow him to confront your wrong ideas about this world and about who you are. You might consider, even this week, reading through Matthew 5-7, through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. There is Jesus' teaching 
about what God requires of us, you will find no better teaching, no better teacher in all human history. And yet Jesus was so much more than just a wise teacher because our problem goes far deeper than just our knowledge. No, we are those who deserve God's wrath, eternal calamity because of our folly. But here comes Jesus, the perfect one. He lays his life down on the cross and there Jesus offers his life as an offering, as a sacrifice for our sins, bearing the judgment of our folly, of our wickedness. You want to learn the fear of the Lord? See the innocent Christ hanging there on the cross, bearing the judgment of God, the wrath of God against our sin. And you will know the fear of the Lord. And yet, even as he sacrificed himself and died in our place, in doing so, he graciously paid for the punishment that we deserved. And three days later, having completely paid that punishment, God raises him from the dead. And now the risen Jesus offers himself for all those who will repent of their sins and trust in him. And so once again, the path to wisdom is through humility. By coming to Jesus, confessing your stupidity and your wickedness and entrusting your life to him, having him as your savior. This is what the fear of God looks like for fools like you and like me. We have made a mess of our lives, but God has provided the way of salvation. And then, for all those who trust in God, trust in Christ, God gives us his spirit so that we begin to live new lives. The spirit of God comes and dwells in us, teaching us wisdom, teaching us to love God, to fear him rightly, and to live rightly in this world. Friends, you want to learn the fear of God? It can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the treasure of wisdom that we see here in verses 2 through 5. He's the one for whom the Apostle Paul would say, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, because he is the treasure that we want. Jesus Christ is the gift of wisdom that we see from God in verses 6 through 11. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus Christ is the protection of wisdom that we see in verses 12 through 20. He guards us from perverted men and from the forbidden woman. He intercedes before the Father for our protection and for our perseverance. Romans 8, who, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, and who is interceding for us. And in the end, the gift of dwelling in the land with God forever is only possible because of Jesus. Jesus, the wisdom of God, will bring us to dwell with his Father for, forever. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the fulfillment of wisdom here in Proverbs 2. The fear of the Lord, you find that in Jesus. That's how God gives us wisdom today. Not by calling us to work harder, perform better. No, by trusting in his son. And as we do so, we learn how to live in this world rightly. So do you want to grow in your fear of the Lord? Pursue Christ. Know him more. This week, as you read God's word, look for Christ, right? And and look for all that you have in him. Just enjoy all that he gives you, all that he has secured for you. As you face trials, entrust your sorrows to Christ. As you face blessings, give thanks to Christ for all that he has purchased for you on the cross. As you face temptations, call out to your sympathetic high priest for help. As you experience failure, confess your sins to Christ. Bank on his forgiveness and his grace. And as you feel your lack of wisdom, pray to God who has already given you his son and therefore he will not withhold anything that you need in order to make it through this life. Above all else, pursue wisdom. Above all else, pursue Christ. Because in him are found all the riches of the wisdom that God gives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So come to Jesus and learn what that means. Even this week, will you commit yourself to turning to Christ and pursuing him anew? Let's pray. Let's pray. And even before I lead us in prayer, take a moment now just to reflect on what you've heard and and pray to God in your own words, asking for this kind of wisdom. Our Heavenly Father, you have revealed to us the folly of our hearts. And yet even more, Lord, you have revealed to us the riches of your goodness to us in Jesus Christ, the wisdom that can be found in him. Oh, Lord, help us this week to hear Christ's voice calling us to himself. Lord, that we would embrace him. Lord, that we would trust him. And in doing so, that we would learn what it means to fear you rightly. Lord, that we will learn how to live in this world that you have made in a way that brings you glory, in a way that fulfills what you made us for. Oh, God, help us to be light in this world through this wisdom that we would draw people to your son as a result. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.